All right, we're talking about uh, stuff you hear in church all the time, and people are saying it all the time, so you think it's Scripture, you think they're quoting Scripture, you think they're saying something Paul said, or Moses said, or David said, and actually they've kind of taken a Scripture and twisted it, and they're um, speaking it really out of context, making it say something it doesn't really say. So we're calling this sermon series Church Fibs. The first one we dealt with was follow your heart. Dr. Jim Wall did a great job teaching us that that is not something we need to be doing. So we hope you'll go back and listen to that um, message online, absolutely free of charge. Then we talked about um, God will never put more on you than you can bear. Sounds good. One thing wrong with it, it isn't true, it's not in the Bible. And I taught that, and uh, you can hear that message as well. And then last week... We um, talked about something you hear in church all the time. If you're in God's will, if you just get in God's will, that's the safest place in the world to be. And we found out last week that wasn't true. Sometimes uh, when you get in God's will, it can be very threatening. It can be a very tough place to be. Today we're going to deal with a topic about prayer because we hear this at church all the time. Hey, man, prayer works. Brother, just pray. Just pray, sister. Prayer works. And some of y'all are sitting out there right now going, this really ain't working for me. I mean, I'm praying a lot, but it just really is not working for me. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, The enemy uh, loves it when the church says things like, prayer works, prayer works, because then he likes to get in our head when we are praying about something and when we are seeking God about something and it's not coming to pass. It's not happening the way we thought it would. It's not happening in the timing that we thought it would. So then the enemy likes to get in our head and make us doubt. As a matter of fact, he has a strategy to deceive believers by causing them to doubt the faithfulness of God in answering our prayers. Satan would have us believe that God has shut his ears to our cry and left us to work things out on our own. So one of the most heartbreaking characteristics that we see creeping into a lot of local churches today is that churches don't believe in the power of prayer and the effectiveness of prayer the way many of them once did. Many Christians say things like, I pray, but I get no answers. I've prayed so long, Pastor. I hear this. I've prayed so long, I've prayed so hard, and I'm not getting anything, man. I'm not getting any results. All I want to see, Pastor, is just a little bit of evidence that God is changing things for good in my life, but I'm not seeing it. I mean, Pastor, things are just going on as usual. Nothing's happening. How long must I wait? Many Christ followers today no longer visit the secret closet of prayer because they are convinced that their prayers get lost somewhere between an altar of prayer and the throne of God. So they're not praying. A lot of other people have listened to the lies of the enemy as he said, you know, God hears Billy Graham's prayers, but not yours. God hears Pastor Farrell's prayers, but not yours. God hears, God heard David's prayers and Daniel's prayers and Moses' prayers, but you're, you're not them. God doesn't hear you. You're nobody. This is the way the enemy talks to us. Many Christians struggle with these thoughts. If God's ear is open to my prayer, 
And I pray diligently, why is it that there is such little evidence that he's hearing me and that he's answering me? Let me ask you something. Is there a prayer that you've been praying? Is there a prayer you've been praying for a long time and and yet it has not been answered? I believe the answer is yes for many of you. I believe many of you have been asking God, you've been believing, you've been doing everything you know to do, you've been fasting and And you've been doing everything you know to do to get that prayer answered, but not yet. It hasn't come. Some of you years have gone by, and still you wait in hope, wondering when will the answer come. We've talked about Job quite a bit in this this sermon series. I want to mention him again today. One day Job was suffering, and uh, he was very, very discouraged. Can I just talk to you about suffering again for just a moment? It is one thing, I think I said this last week, but I want to repeat myself. It is one thing to suffer for a brief period of time. It is a whole different thing to suffer for a long period of time. We all know what it is to have a bad cold and get over that. Even to have a more serious illness where we have to have surgery, but we get over it. Have a stroke, but you're one of the blessed ones, and so you get over it quickly. But to have a long period of time where you are just suffering, you're in pain, you're not able, you can't serve yourself, you can't can't do the things you used to do, you feel useless, you feel like people who wanted to be around you at one time, they don't want to be around you anymore because you're always hurting. Think about people who have fibromyalgia and how you hear the uh, people say it's in your head. And you're like, and I know, I know this isn't God, but you're like, I wish you could just have it five minutes and just know what it's like. People who have chronic back pain and have had chronic back surgery or have had back surgeries and, and they work for a little while. And then I'm telling you, man, before you criticize a suffering person, stop and think. You got to walk in those shoes you got to walk in those shoes. And, and Job was one of those people, and, and he loved God. Matter of fact, I told you last week at the beginning of the book of Job, it says he loved God and hated evil, and he was a righteous man. and He, he loved righteousness. He loved God. But after a long, long, long time of suffering, you just get beat down. And he was discouraged, and he said, he said to God, and I know you might think this is blasphemy, but... But he was just discouraged, and God understood. He said, God, I just kind of feel like you're dragging your feet. Here's what he said. He said, God, I cry out to you for help, but you do not answer. I stand up, and you turn your attention in a different direction. You know, that whole idea of I stand up, I mean, that's like, uh, you know, giving us the idea that, that Job's cry was intense. He wasn't just on his knees, on his face, but he just stood up and cried out. He said, and I felt like when I did that, God, you just kind of turned and went the other way. And maybe you felt that. Maybe you felt like that. Job's vision of God's faithfulness was clouded by his present difficulties. He ended up accusing God of forgetting him. Now, God loves him, and, and, and he's God's boy. He's God's homie. He's God's son. He's God's child. So God dealt with him as a child and rebuked him soundly for that. You can read it in the scripture. 
So it's time for Christians to take an honest look at the reasons why our prayers are not answered. We can be guilty of charging God with neglect when all along maybe it's something in our life or maybe it isn't that's causing prayers to be unanswered. I'm going to give you six things, six possible reasons today why, why your prayers aren't answered or not answered. And some of you need to hear this. Um, I could have given you 15, 20. I'm going to give you six. You're happy about that. I know you are. Number one, number one. Our prayers go unanswered, and we know this one, often because it, what we're asking for just isn't God's will. It's just not something God wants. We can't figure out why he don't want it. We've already figured out why he should want it. We've already figured out why he should be cool with it. We've already figured out why it should be his will. But for some reason, and sometimes we know something is not God's will right off the bat, and sometimes, you know, God will reveal to us why that wasn't in his will, and sometimes you'll pray for something and you don't get it and you're confused and agitated, but later down the road, you understand, now I see why God didn't answer it that way. But sometimes you pray, God doesn't answer it when you want him to or how you want him to, and you never get an explanation. You never know why, because guess what? God don't owe us an explanation. He doesn't owe us an explanation. Did you know we're not free to pray randomly for whatever our selfish mind can conceive. We have to pray according to his will. We're not permitted to come into his presence and offer silly notions and mindless wish lists. One writer said, and I agree, this is a powerful statement, if God signed all our petitions without discretion, he would end up giving his glory away. Because you see, it isn't about you getting what you want. It's about his glory. It's about his honor, his glory. I think about Lazarus and how they sent for him to come and heal Lazarus, but he didn't come and heal him. And so when he got there, they kind of chewed him out in a holy way, in a churchy way, you know, chew God out in a spiritual way. Mary and Martha did that, and Jesus didn't heal him. Jesus raised him from the dead. Why? Because you get more glory for a resurrection than you do for a healing. It's all about his glory. It's all about the glory of God. It's not us getting what we want. There is a law of prayer. There is a law of prayer. And here it is simply. We can pray for whatever we will just so it is his will. We can pray for whatever we will just so it is his will. And this law will weed out self-centered prayers while at the same time make it possible for honest seekers to ask in confidence. Let's look at a scripture this morning in 1 John 5, 14. I want you to notice that fourth word. I should have made it yellow. 1 John 5, 14. This is the what? Confidence which we have when we come before God. So this is really talking about us coming before God in the presence of God, offering our prayers to God. When we come before him, what do we want to have? We want to have this. Confidence, faith, trust. And so, so what is the confidence? Well, he's about to tell us. This is the confidence. You want confidence when you come before God in prayer? How many of you think confidence makes a difference when you pray? You want to come before God with confidence? Here it is. 
If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. That's where your confidence comes from. When you pray and you know he's already said it in the word. When you're praying for somebody to come to Christ, you don't have to worry about if that's God's will. When you're praying for a marriage to be saved, God's already spoke about that. He's already spoke about his will on that. So it's, it's, it's confidence when we pray in the will of God. Let me give you a couple of illustrations where they didn't pray in the will of God in the Bible. The disciples were not praying according to God's will when they prayed for revenge. Um, some Pharisees, religious people, others have been coming against Jesus very harshly and Finally, the disciples, they just got all in the flesh, and they looked at Jesus and said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, some of y'all have prayed that for people. You repented later. Boy, if you had the power to nuke people, there'd be a lot of going on. I mean, you know, God kind of nuked uh, Lot's wife. You know, he said, don't look back. She looked back. <laughs> I loved her. God, God doesn't think like that. We do. We think like that. And here's what Jesus said when they said, Lord, you want us to pray and ask your father to nuke them? Jesus answered, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. That's in Luke chapter 9. He said, you're, the spirit you're, that that comes from, that that request comes from, that that prayer comes from, he said, that is not of the spirit of God. Job was not praying according to God's will when, his, when in his sorrow he begged for God to take his life. Now let me just talk about what our next sermon series is. Our next sermon series beginning this Thursday night at the Goldsboro campus and here next Sunday is called Unhappy Holidays because people battle emotionally during the holidays. And for a lot of people, it's not a happy holiday. It's not Merry Christmas. It's not Happy Thanksgiving. We go through some very, very dark times, even as Christians. So we're going to talk about depression we're going to talk about how the church ought to view depression. Because I'll be honest with you, the church, in many cases, I started to say most, and it could be true, do not view people who struggle with depression. We don't view it right. We don't view it lovingly. We view it the wrong way. So we're going to talk about that over the next three weeks, beginning next week. So I want you to tell your friends and people you know who battle with depression or people you know uh, who have been to church in places and the church said, man, if you had faith, if you just get your eyes on the Lord and get your eyes off your trouble, well, here's Job, and Job's praying for God to kill him. How many, would how many of y'all would agree with me? That's depression right there. How many of y'all think Job was a pretty good Christian? I ain't seen any of your names in the Bible. He's in the Bible. So Job was an awesome man of God, an awesome Christian, but he got so discouraged, he prayed for God to take his life. I don't doubt that there are people right here who've probably prayed that very thing. 
Look what it says in Ecclesiastes 5 and 2. You have to be very careful what you say and what you pray. Do not be what? Hasty in praying in, your, in word or what? Impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. You need to be careful. How many of y'all remember uh, back in high school, maybe you're, you're around my age or you're in your 40s or you're like me, you're late 30s, but you're... <laughs> But you remember dating somebody in high school. And you were like, I want to marry her. I love her. Jesus, let me marry her. But he didn't. And you were hurt. And you didn't understand. And then you ran into her at the grocery store last week. And you thought of that great gospel song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayer by Garth Brooks. Because when she said, hey, you went, ah! How many of y'all can look back in your life and remember prayers you prayed, and right now you're saying, thank you, God, for not answering that prayer right there. Thank you, God. Samuel prayed the right way. The Bible says in Daniel 9, I'm not going to give you the verses because I don't want you to go there, but study it when you get home. He went to the scriptures. He went to the word of God first to find out what God had said. Then he knew what he could pray. The reason a lot of us don't pray right is because we don't know what God has said. You have to know what God has said before you can really pray powerfully. And the people said, when you know what God said, you know how to pray. Here's our problem with our prayers. We know too much about what we want and too little about what he wants. That's our nature, isn't it? I know what I want. If I can just get God to want it. <laughs> number two, number two. So first one, praying out of God's will. Number two, uh, uh, our prayers often go unanswered when they are designed to fulfill an inner lust, which kind of laps over number one just a little bit, but it's a little deeper. The Bible says in the book of James, let's go there, James chapter four and verse three, you ask, in other words, you pray, you're talking to God, and you ask God for stuff, but you don't receive it. So this, is, this verse deals specifically with unanswered prayer. You ask God for something and you don't receive it because you ask with what? Wrong motive. Your motive's wrong. So that you may spend it, whatever it is he gives you, whatever it is you're asking for, so that you might spend it not on his glory or to win people to Christ or to increase the kingdom, but you use what he gives you for what? Your pleasures. And the scripture's clear that God doesn't work with that. God will never answer a prayer that will add to your glory. God will never answer a prayer that's going to add to your glory. It's all about his glory. God will never answer a prayer that will assist you in fulfilling a temptation. You would not believe the things I hear as a pastor and the things our staff hears as a pastor when people try to explain to us why even though God has spoke very specifically about something in the Bible being wrong, they have gotten with him and made a little side deal with him, and he's let them off the hook. All the rest of us are, are on the hook, 
but he's let them off the hook because they have a special circumstance. They have a special situation where they get to sin and it's okay with God. How many of y'all believe that? Man. See, then I get like those disciples. God, you want me to call fire down from heaven? I mean, come on. God will never answer a prayer that will dishonor him. You say, well, how do I know if my request is based on my desire, my lust? That word is, that's a powerful word. Um, in the King James, it uses the word lust. When we think of lust, we always think about it in the context of a sexual temptation. But I want to tell you, you can lust for money. You can lust for power. You can lust for things that your neighbor has that you don't have. There are a lot of things you can lust for. It is a strong yearning of the human part of you. That's what lust is. So how do we know if what we're praying for is just a lustful desire? Well, here, here's, here's the answer to that. When God doesn't give it to you when you want it, how do you react? How do you react to God's delays? How do you react to God's denials? How you react to God's delays and how you react to God's denials will reveal whether that was just something you wanted. Prayers based on lust demand hasty answers. When a lusting heart does not get the thing it desires quickly, it whimpers and cries, it complains and whines, it breaks out in murmuring, and finally, it accuses God. Did you get that? Instead of yielding to God's will, the lustful heart runs from counselor to counselor, church to church, preacher to preacher, having itching ears, finally finding somebody who will tell them what they want to hear. Do y'all see that in our society? Do you see that in the church world? I've had people come to this church for years and years and years. Love you, Pastor. Love the bridge. Just love you. And then we had to take a stand because of Scripture, not because of a rule we made up, but we had to take a stand because of Scripture. And they got mad and said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to another church. And boy, it makes you cry because, you know, you, you love them and they loved you. And it was just, but they heard something they didn't want to hear. They didn't want that address. They didn't mind when you preached on it in relation to other people. But again, they thought they had a special circumstance in their family that allowed for that. One of the things we're very, very strict on here at the bridge is, is you're going to go through a process before we marry you to somebody. You're going to go through a process. You're going to go through some uh, classes and, and you're going to go through some one-on-one -on -one counseling because we're looking around and we see that the divorce rate is about as high in church as it is outside of church. So it's a responsibility of your pastor and your spiritual leaders to do everything we can before you get married to make sure you're ready to get married. If you're not ready to get married, guess what? We're going to tell you. People don't like that because their emotions are wrapped up in it. They've already made plans. They see flowers and big hair. <laughs> and they see freaky bridesmaid dresses, amen? And they see dresses that will never be worn again except on that day. 
uh, they see wedding gowns and flowers and they see a reception and a party and music. They don't see what's going to happen two weeks after all that's over. And boy, when you tell people, you're just not ready to get married, but I've already got it on the calendar. It don't matter. You're going to have a lawyer appointment on the calendar. I don't know how I got off on that, but it was good. <laughs> people look around for what they want to hear. Don't work because sin and lust have not yet been cleared out of their life. Peace comes, listen to this, peace comes only when we surrender to God's purposes, not ours, but his, and forsake all lust and secret sin. I love this statement, the lustful heart cannot see God's glory in his denials. The lustful heart cannot see God's glory in his delays. The lustful heart sees only what it wants to see. God in his justice is obligated to delay. God in his purity and holiness and righteousness is obligated to deny our prayers until we are purged from selfishness and lust. Again, our problem is we know too much about what we want and too little about what he wants. Number three, our prayers often go unanswered when we do not make ourselves available to be used by God to bring about an answer. In other words, Pray and ask God, and then after you get through praying and asking God for something, then go, God, use me. Use me to answer that prayer. You know, God, I pray that you increase our teams that go out and feed the hungry, and I pray, God, you increase our, increase our teams that serve in the children's ministry, and I pray, God, that you increase our teams that go to the prison, and I pr you know what I'm saying? And then you turn around after you pray that and go, hey, and God, I'm available. A lot of our prayers aren't answered because we just want to ask God for stuff, but we want somebody else to be the doer. We go to God as if he's a rich relative. We want him to support us and give us all we beg for while we fail to lift a hand to help. One writer said, we lift our hands in prayer to ask God, and then we put them in our pocket. God will have no idle beggars at his door. God will have no idle beggars at his door. I'm telling you right now, this could be a key for somebody. When you pray, turn right around and go, and God, use me. Lord, save my neighbor and use me. God, save my friend at work who is so ungodly and so carnal. God, save him and use me. Be a part of the answer. God will not allow us, even as a church, listen to this, God will not allow us, even as a church, to be charitable to people who refuse to work. I know y'all didn't hear that. Let me just back up over here. I like I didn't say it yet. God won't allow us even to help somebody who, who they might be hungry, they might not have anything, but God says, if it's because they're lazy, if it's because they're sorry and they won't work, then you have no obligation to enable them to keep living like that. Amen? Amen. Second Thessalonians 3 and 10, we command you that if any would not work, neither should he. I like eating. 
So if you want to eat, you work. You say, I've tried to get a job. I can't get a job. This is something I believe. And Farewell Hardest in chapter 2, verse 8. So write this down. I believe if a person who doesn't have a job will serve, I don't mean in the church, I'm not giving a, I mean, I think that's a good place, but I'm not saying that's the only, but if you will serve and volunteer your time while you have extra time, I believe God will see that and honor it and open a door. Now, that's me, that's me, but I believe that. I believe you reap what you sow. You want to work but you don't have a job, then go find somebody who just needs some help right now. Go find an organization. Uh, we got awesome organizations all around in our community where you could go serve and volunteer. I'm telling you something. When God sees that, he'll honor it. He'll honor it. He'll take care of you. One writer said, add some sweat to your tears. It's all right to cry to God, but add some sweat to it. Get out there and and, and get mobile, get moving, do something. Action. Don't sit back and go, where's God? Where's God? He's not where you are evidently, so go find him. Put some, my grandma, you say, put some what on your prayers? Put some legs on your prayers. Put some feet on your prayers. That's an old saying from way back, but same thing. Don't blame God for not listening to your prayers if you're not listening to his call to obedience. Because here's what will happen. If you keep asking God for stuff, but you're not willing to serve and, and do your part, then you're just going to assume God isn't answering your prayers because he's, he's shunning you, and you're going to get bitter, and you accuse God of negligence. You're going to get like Job was, and all along your disobedience was the problem. Number four. Y'all excited? There's only six of these. Number four. Our prayers often go unanswered because we won't forgive somebody who's wronged us. I'll just pause right there. We want God to forgive us, but we won't forgive. Do you know Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, help us to forgive as we have been forgiven. What, listen to this. What if God forgave you the same way you forgive people? Would you be forgiven right now? What if God held a grudge the way you're holding the grudge? What if God had a grudge against you? How many of y'all are glad? Because you know your behavior. I know mine. How many of you know God could have a grudge against us if he wanted to? Thank God he doesn't. It's like the song, he looked beyond our faults and saw our needs. I used to think that was he looked beyond our socks and saw our knees, but that, that isn't what it is. <laughs> God gives us what we need. He don't give us what we deserve. But see, we, we think we're better than God. We give people what they deserve. And what they need is your forgiveness. Now look, when you forgive somebody, it doesn't mean that you're not offended anymore. It doesn't mean that you're not hurt anymore. It doesn't mean that, that you forgive them in the sense of it's like they never did it and you don't feel the pain of their wound anymore. Forgiveness is when you go, you know what? I'm just not going to hold it against them anymore. 
I know they did it. I'm still hurting from it. Matter of fact, they don't even care if I forgive them or not. But for my sake and to be able to move on with God, I'm just not going to hold it against them anymore. And when that spirit in me rises up to hold it against them, I'm just going to look up to heaven and go, only your Holy Spirit, God, can empower me not to hold that against them anymore. Empower me to forgive them. Empower me not to hold that against them anymore. 1 Peter 2, 1 and, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, rather than that, be like a newborn baby. What does a newborn baby do? He longs for the pure milk of the word so that by it he will grow in respect to salvation. 1 Timothy 2.8, lift up pure hands when you pray. Lift up pure hands without wrath or doubting. Our prayers are hindered when we have become obsessed with our own hurt feelings. And I, 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 listen, I'm looking out here today, I see some people I know, I've been pastoring this church a long time, I see some people I know this morning, and you've been hurt bad. And you didn't deserve it. And now I look, I see other people who maybe did something that caused, but, but now you've done everything you know to repent of that, but still that person won't let go. I know some of you, I know what's going on in your life. You, you have been wounded deeply. I understand that. But I'm just telling you that when you hold on to that bitterness, when you hold on to it, it doesn't affect them, it affects you, it hurts you. Unforgiveness is like pouring sand into a motor, like pouring sand into a gas tank of a car. It might turn, it might move, but after a while it's going to lock up, become useless. Number five, our prayers often go, answer, go unanswered because we don't, we don't believe, we have doubt. Now don't misunderstand me, you, if you've heard me preach long enough, you know that I'm not one of these that stands up here and go, faith is the problem, man, you get enough faith, Everything you ask for, you're going to get. Every miracle you want, it's going to happen. You know I don't preach that, but I will tell you that doubt can get in the way of a prayer being answered. If you expect little from prayer, you will pray with little power and little authority. But if you expect much when you pray, you will pray with power. If you pray with a sense of expectation, I don't know what God's going to do about this, but he'll do what's best. And so I pray, God, that you take this situation, whatever will bring you glory, whatever will bring some peace in my life and some freedom in my life, God, I just give that to you, however you choose to answer it, God. And you, when you pray like that, you pray with power, you pray with authority. When we question the power of God, we lose the power. Don't question his power. Don't, don't question the power of prayer cause you to lose that power. Unbelieving fear will rob the believer of joy and confidence in prayer and, and in, their, in their conversations with God. I love this statement. Listen, prayer is a weapon that must be wielded with confidence. Prayer is a weapon. Y'all know we're in spiritual war? It is a weapon that must be wielded in confidence or else we have no other defense against our enemy. We often think God has not heard us because we see no immediate evidence of an answer to prayer, but one great writer said this, 
often in this case, the deeper God's silence, the louder his answer will be when it comes. So think about that. Is God being silent right now? Does it feel like heaven is like brass to you? You pray. How many of y'all have ever prayed and it felt like your prayers got about right there and then just dropped right down in front of you? See, that's why you can't go by your feelings. That's why you can't go by your emotions. Listen to me. When you pray, God hears you every time. Every time. Not based on whether you felt that he heard you or whether you felt that he was near you when you prayed or whether you felt that he had his hands on you. It's not feeling. It's what he promised. And when you pray, he hears you every time. And if God has not moved and he is totally silent, just consider the fact that when the answer does come, it'll be loud and clear. Abraham prayed for a child and God answered, but it was many, many years of prayer before Abraham actually held Isaac in his arms. Every faithful prayer is heard the moment it is prayed, but God chooses to answer in his own way and in his own time. Now listen to this. Meanwhile, while we're waiting, God expects us to rejoice in his promises and walk in hope while we wait for the fulfillment. Don't pray about something and then when it doesn't come, you walk around with your, with your lip dragging the ground. My mom and dad used to tell me, when they'd tell, I'd tell them I want something, they'd tell me I couldn't have it. You know, I'd put that long face on. Looks like a lot of Christians today. You ever seen long-faced Christians? Look like mules walking around in church. I mean, their face is so long, they're pouting, they look like they could eat peas out of the bottom of a quart jar. I mean, they got a long face. I hadn't used that joke in a long time. That's old. My mom and dad used to tell me, you better roll that lip up on a stick, you're going to step on it. You people who are not from the South, write this stuff down. <laughs> Take it back like a missionary to the West and to the North. <laughs> when waiting on God, remember that he wraps his delays and denials in love. And he wraps them in love to prevent us from falling into despair. See, I can't stand here today and promise you the moment you pray, God's going to move. But I can tell you this. He will wrap his delays in love. And he will wrap his denials in love. So you won't despair in your waiting. Number six. By the way, there are only six of these. Our prayers go unanswered when we think we know how God should respond. Have you ever prayed like that? God, I want your will to be done, but God, I got this great plan. I just want to tell you, I got a great plan on how you should do it. And I, I talk to people all the time who, <laughs> excuse me, who they're not mad that God didn't answer their prayer. They're mad that God didn't answer it by their plan. Think about this in life. The person that we have to do a contract with, the person that we have to lay terms out with and get signed and get lawyers in and notary, those are people we don't know if we can trust them. So when you talk to God like that and you pray and go, God, here are the terms, what you're saying is, I don't know if I can really trust you, God, to handle this the right way, so I got some terms. You see how, see how messed up that is? 
You just give it to him, man. You just lay it down at his feet and walk off. I love this. I, I copied it word for word from a book I was reading. After a faith-filled Christian unburdens his heart in prayer to the Lord, he is to then resign himself to the faithfulness, goodness, and wisdom of God. Can I say that again? After a faith-filled, I mean a strong Christian, a mature, I'm not talking about a weak, anemic Christian. I'm talking about a healthy Christian. Once you unburden your heart in prayer to the Lord, then just resign yourself, give it to God, put it in His hands, trust His faithfulness, trust His goodness, and trust His wisdom. That's our response when we pray. He goes on, the true believer will leave the shaping of the answer to God's infinite mercy and wisdom. Whatever way God chooses the answer, the believer will welcome it. Why? Why? Because we know God does all things well. He does all things well, and He will get the glory. Those who instruct God on how and when to answer actually limit Him. Since God will not bring the answer in the front door, Sometimes we're so, how many of you know, have you ever prayed for God to meet a need and it, it can't, he met it, but it didn't come anywhere from a source that you had ever considered? So we got ourselves fixed on the front door. God's going to do it this way. God's going to do it this way. I know God's going to do it this way. I've got a word from the Lord and he's going to do it this way. And God goes, really? And then he comes in the back door and meets our need. See, you've got to leave all that with God. God wants us to simply leave our request in his powerful arms. What does he say in Hebrews? Cast what? All your cares on me. Stop trying to manipulate it. Take your hands off. Move on with peace and serenity to wait for his relief. Let me just say this. Let me just say this to you. Somebody's here this morning and you won't take your hands off. I mean, you've fasted, you've prayed, you've trusted God, but you keep trying to manipulate it. You keep sticking your hands in there and trying to work the situation. Oh, God, I want you to be in control. And the whole time you're saying it, you're in there working it, moving stuff around. Take your hands off and say, God, it's yours. It's all yours. I give it to you. I love when Hannah was praying. I always get teary when I think about mothers, especially a mother like Hannah who gave her son when he was little to the ministry. And she was praying and her heart was broken and she was cast down. How many of you know Christians get like that sometimes? But look what the Bible says. The Bible says she rose from her knees and went and ate because she had been fasting and praying and her countenance was no more sad. At that moment, Hannah gave that thing to God. She gave it to God because her countenance was no more sad. Father, help us today to release things and trust you and give it to you. Let me just give you two or three little things in closing. When you're down and Satan whispers in your ear that God has forgotten you, here's how you shut his mouth. You look straight at the enemy because sometimes you have to speak to the enemy. Anybody ever been praying and had to stop talking to God and just turn to the enemy and say, now listen, I know you're over there and I hear you and I feel you poking me, but 
I do. I, I do that all the time. Devil, it is not, here's what you say, devil, it is not God who has forgotten me. See, he's over there, God forgot you. Let me do this side, it's better. God forgot you. God forgot all about you. You just look the enemy in the face and say, God hasn't forgotten, I'm the one who forgot. I forgot his past blessings. Or else I could not now be questioning his faithfulness. I love this. Strong faith has a good memory. Our rash and hasty words are results of our forgetting the past benefits. We should pray like David in Psalm 77. It's not going to come on the screen, so listen. Here's David. David says, this is my anguish. But he wasn't out of anguish. He was in it. He says, I'm in anguish, I'm in pain, I'm suffering. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I'm in pain right now, but I won't just look at my situation now. I will remember the past years. I will remember what God did in the years gone by. I, rem I will remember the works of his mighty right hand. I will remember it. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. Another thing, reject that secret whisper in your ear that not only says God's forgotten about you, but the one that says, hey, God hears you, but when he finally answers you, it's going to be too late and it's not going to do you any good because you need an answer right now. I mean, you need to tell God you've got to have it right now. Because sometimes God, when he, he doesn't really know what's going on, and, and you have to tell him you have to have it right now. And I don't know why he's holding back from you, because, man, you're a good person, and, and you're living right, you're serving out there at the church, you're paying your tithe, you're praying, you're doing all the right things. But i got to tell you, man, God, he's probably listening to you. He just didn't do anything for you. And when you finally do get an answer, it's going to be too late. We've all heard that voice. When we fail to trust God on the timing of his answers and then we move on and do something because it looked like God wasn't going to do anything. I remember uh, my brother Chuck. How many of y'all know Chuck? Y'all know my little brother Chuck? He's about this tall. And uh, we were sitting around the dinner table and, and uh, we were talking about something and my daddy said, well, Chuck, pray about it. Chuck said, I've prayed about it. God ain't doing anything. I got to do something. Something's got to get done. That's, I mean, that's the honesty of a kid, isn't it? But you know what? We've all thought that. God, if you're not going to do anything, i got to do something. You know what that is? Spiritual mutiny. That's when you look at the captain of the ship and go, you're not doing it right. I'm taking you out. I'm going to take the ship over. Don't do it. Don't do it. If what you prayed for is not worth waiting for, then it wasn't worth asking for. Stop praying about um, getting and learn to trust. Learn to trust God. I think about the children of Israel when Moses went up to get the law at Mount Sinai. He was gone just a little while. He wasn't gone long. But after a while, they grew restless and impatient. And they said, here's what they said. Make us false gods. We don't know what became of Moses. Make us some false idols here. Build some idols. We got to have something to worship. Moses left. We don't know where he's at. And so they made, up, they, they made the golden calf and they began to worship because they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait. God had a plan. God had a strategy. God had a timing. God had an but they couldn't wait. Now, that's Old Testament. 
So when Moses came down, God said, Moses said, who's on the Lord's side? Let him come stand here. And some came and stood with him. You know what happened to the rest of the crowd? The earth swallowed them up. Easy. Careful. God's serious about you trusting him. I didn't say, I don't mean the earth will swallow you up. But God, that shows his seriousness about us trusting his love and faithfulness. Number four, when you're down, you're allowed to cry, but you're not allowed to complain. You can't get whiny. God don't hear whining. If you're crying out, dear God in heaven, and you're crying, the tears are flowing, you're crying out, you're crying out, God will hear that. But when you get whiny, God goes, eh. Speak to the hand. God is not going to listen to complaining. The Bible calls that contending with God. Only a, only a foolish person would find fault with God. Grumbling kept an entire nation out of the promised land. Grumbling and whining. And then the last thing I'll give you is ask in faith. This is so good. Ask in faith. Pray your prayer, ask in faith, and then start praising in hope. You say, but I don't have the answer yet. I just praise, praise him on credit. Praise him, in, praise him for what's going to happen. Ask and then start praising in hope. Is that some good advice right there? Don't ask him. I mean, it's like going outside. You know, you planted a seed in the ground in your garden, and you got there the next morning and go, well, let's go. Takes time. Takes time. Isaiah 30 and 15, I love this verse. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Stop whining, hush, and be confident. And you'll get strong. You'll have strength from that. God's promises are like ice on a lake. They will hold you up. His promises will hold you up. You will not sink. When you don't hear from him, when you don't see him, when you can't find any evidence of him in your life, he is there with you. Don't ever doubt it. Don't ever doubt it. Let's stand together.